to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Welcome back to your favorite feminist hub for fabulous single women. Jeanette here, ready to bring you another fantastic episode with a phenomenal guest expert working in the field of relationships and dating. This month, I have Cassandra LeClaire, an author, communications consultant, and motivational speaker, and a communications professor with an emphasis on gender. I know I'm excited to talk to her too. Cassandra, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. So you first reached out to me, do you know this, in October of 2020. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. No, I didn't realize it was quite that long ago. I know. Ago. I feel like this is actually creating a ter- terrible rap for me because I keep starting the podcast with being like, wow, we've been emailing for over a year trying to get you on the podcast. So just so you know, for better or worse, it's not you, it's me, I think. I think that we just get to blame still pandemic time the and space is weird. Great. Yeah. Great. Yep. No, you're a crazy busy woman as, as you, we should celebrate. And I am a crazy busy woman, and we should not criticize our busy lives. We should celebrate them. So thank God it took us a year to get you here because look how awesome we are. (laughs) Absolutely. And think about how much more we have to talk about now that we've had this extra year. (laughs) So we've just been building our knowledge base. Um, But you're here now. I couldn't be more thrilled to finally get to speak with you. I'm going to read your bio so I can introduce you properly to our audience, if that's okay. And feel free to jump in and correct me at the end if I'm missing anything or if there's any updates. So as I mentioned, Dr. Cassandra LeClaire is an author, communications consultant, motivational speaker, and communications professor at Texas State University. She completed her PhD in communication studies at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she focused on interpersonal and family communication with a specialization in women's and gender studies. Since 2001, she has taught a variety of classes at the collegiate level, where she encourages her students to explore their own patterns and improve their communication. Her book, Being Whole, Healing from Trauma and Reclaiming My Voice was published in 2019, and she launched her podcast of the same name in 2021. She's active in many local organizations that seek to empower and educate individuals on relationships and identity. Yes! Snaps Oh, thank you. You made me sound so important. You are so important. <laughs> Look at that bio. Again, we need to celebrate. Um, So one of the things, first off, I just want to strongly echo is how you defined your passion and your North Star so quickly and so fiercely. How did you discover the world of communication studies and like what drew you to it? You know, that is kind of the guiding force of my whole life. So it's such a great question. I 
I had a lot of things happen to me in childhood, a lot of childhood trauma, which is kind of the focus of my book as well. And throughout all of that, I didn't ever know how to talk about what I was experiencing. I didn't know, you know, I, I kept a lot in. I I didn't understand how to use my voice. And so I like to say that I became a communication studies professor because I really wanted to teach other people how to use their voice because I struggled with it so much for myself. So it was kind of unique. I was in a lot of psychology classes as well. I have an um, undergrad psych degree, and I always thought I would wanted to be a trauma counselor. But because I hadn't really resolved my own traumas yet in college, I found it, it really overwhelming. So a lot of the communication literature overlaps quite a bit, but it also talks about how the doing portion, you know, of how to then talk about it. So that's, again, why I kind of was drawn to the mesh of the two, but then the actual action of how do you how do you talk about these things? Yeah. So wait, in high school, you were a teenager and you wanted to be a trauma counselor? Um, so no, that when I was in, um, well, so kind of backtracking a little bit to give everybody some context on that. Um, I was sexually abused when I was a child and I went through that for several years and didn't tell anyone. I didn't talk to anyone about it instead of you know, calling out my abuser and making him the bad guy, I internalized his words and thought that it was my fault and, you know, that I'd never be good enough. So I just need to try to achieve to prove how good I am, you know, those kinds of things. And so it was like through my own constant swirling and anxiety and not understanding and just trying to figure myself out that I was so drawn to, you know, I, I took abnormal psych and, you know, diagnosed myself with a hundred different things and reading the textbook because I was searching and seeking, trying to figure out, you know, like what's wrong with me, not understanding that what was wrong with me was that I had had a trauma that I hadn't healed from. Yeah. So do you think you knew that like, did you know that consciously where you were sitting there looking to go to college to pursue this avenue? Or do you think that sort of subconsciously guided you in the right direction? I think it was subconscious. I think yeah. I didn't realize how much I was seeking, you know, because I, I had so divorced myself from the idea that anything was still impacting me, you know, because I wanted it to be over. I To the point where I just didn't even think about things anymore. I was like, no, that that look at how awesome I am. None of like, that I'm matters. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. None of that matters. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yep. That. And so much so, especially since I never opened up about it to anyone else, it wasn't like anyone else was asking me if I was really fine. You know, they were just seeing those achievements or seeing, you know, whatever, thinking it's just, you know, my personality or my behavior. So really, it was through that, that knowing that I needed to know more about myself, but not understanding how to do it. But yet I knew the material so well, I became really, really good at helping other people figure their shit out. <laughs> so, you know, that's where what really led me into continuing on into grad school and to be being a professor. And I think I was drawn to that time frame and being a professor most because that college for me then was such a period of um, exploration and growth for my interpersonal self. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I just think that's so beautiful. There's so many people that spend decades of their life trying to figure out what their purpose is and their mission, the thing that will fulfill you. And like, I love that you were like, <laughs> like you, your undergrad, your mm -hmm. postgrad, your doctorate were all in line of this mission. Like you knew it so clearly so early on. Well, and it's been so great because then it really is something like being in the classroom or now I do that, you know, externally with my own clients or other students is it 
it has not felt like work. And I know that sounds cheesy or cliche, you know, like, oh, find a job that doesn't feel like work. And there are definitely parts of my job that feel like work. Don't get me wrong. But but that space where I get to do that and I get to share that information and I know I'm empowering other people and I know I'm helping them in a way that I really needed. Like, yeah, all day long I could do that. And I think I'm so lucky in a way that it it was that kind of just guiding push of what I needed to figure out for myself that led me there. And it's so interesting that you knew you wanted to use it to teach instead of kind of the opposite side of that coin, which was because you're still using those skills to reach people, but to become a psychologist, for example, like to help other people find their healing place. Well, and I think like too, one thing, you know, just to really encourage people who might feel like it's too late for them or feel like they can't start this, you know, so I went to college and I learned all this and read about this. But one of the reasons I dug into teaching so much about it is because I saw the benefits in the ways that could help other people, but I couldn't, I still wasn't figuring it out for myself. So externally, I, I do know this stuff so well, I can help people. I have no, you know, have full confidence in my abilities, thousands of students to prove that I've helped them, you know, but inside I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get there. You know, I was still feeling stuck or anxious or frustrated. And I'd be like, you know, why, why am I still just feeling unsettled? And what that was is, you know, remember how I said I had never dealt with my trauma or I just kept pushing it aside or chasing other things is that remained true for me throughout my whole life. (laughs) I didn't actually dig in and confront and deal with any of my childhood sexual abuse until, um, you know, until before my book came out, because that's why I have a book. (laughs) That's so I mean, and yet you teach classes on interpersonal needs and boundaries and working to have healthier Mm -hmm. connections through communication. So like, how did the trauma from your past either influence your, I guess, your awakening, I guess, or conflict with each other? Like while you were teaching, I'm just fascinated that those two stories are running parallel, but like they're, they're one is like causal of another, but at the same time, you like compartmentalize them. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, as I said, I pushed everything aside and decided that I it didn't matter and it wasn't going to matter. And so I thought, so I created a bunch of coping mechanisms that, you know, I thought were then just part of my personality, you know, so this constant drive and need to achieve, well, that was rooted in low self-worth and not not feeling good about myself, you know, so in the external, that looks great to people. Oh, look at her. She's got all these achievements. Oh, she's a PhD. Oh, she's got this. But inside, I wouldn't ever celebrate any of those accomplishments because I was just like, because they were empty to me. It wasn't like, because it was, I was seeking them for the wrong reasons, you know, so like, even though I'd be happy in them, I wasn't really like, oh, cool, I'm such a badass, I did that. Because I was trying to fill up something instead of having it without those achievements, if that makes sense. And so like, it's easy then when you're thinking about, okay, you can go through your life and you can understand like, even with the boundary setting, I could teach other people about boundaries, but I didn't understand for myself what that really looked like. I didn't know. And that's because, well, my boundaries, you know, when I was a child were completely degraded and they just weren't there. And that's very typical of an abuse victim, right? But so how I could teach about abuse, like, cause I teach gender, right? So how I could teach about abuse and talk about this material and then still not go into my own life and be like, yeah, that's what this is. 
the only thing I can come back to is that just subconsciously I couldn't. And so what finally pushed like your me? Ego was protecting yeah, yourself. Uh-huh, yeah, so much. So what finally happened? Because I was an awesome teacher, and my students will tell you, like, I still was very open about all these other struggles I had. You know, I have lupus. I would talk to them about difficulties about raising kids, and so it wasn't like I was ever closed off about what was happening with me. But I always like to say that I was going because I would still go to therapy. I'd talk about that, but it's like I was healing the wrong things. I was trying to heal the right now. And the problems that I felt in the right now, instead of acknowledging and understanding that it was from back then, that's the stuff I had to heal from. So what propelled me to really figure my shit out was um, my family was hit by a drunk driver. And uh, fortunately, it wasn't, uh, it was at slow speeds. We weren't terribly physically injured, but that Were crash. Were you in the car? I was, I was a passenger. I was in the <gasps> passenger seat. Oh my God. And I... Um, yeah, had a direct impact. And, and I was propelled back to this place of like, I'm scared. And somebody fucking did this to me. And this was not my fault. And I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, like all that shit that I couldn't, like had pushed back, I couldn't push back anymore. It was bubbling up, it was rising to the surface. And it was like, oh my God, I can't escape from this anymore. So I kind of unraveled, but I still wasn't at a place where I could tell anyone or wanted to tell anyone about the abuse. So my my reaction kind of to the situation, to the drunk driving accident, probably it was probably difficult for some people to understand because I just like completely almost kind of like dipped out of life. I quit social media. I like just dove into work and raising my kids. And just basically kind of went into this space where I was really trying to heal and understand how my traumas were still showing up in my life. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And so that was my breaking point. And that's why it's so important to me too, just to remind people like, you just don't know, you know, that was not the worst thing that's ever happened to me at all. But that was the point where I was like, no, I just can't. My body can no longer contain this. And like it went, it it just couldn't, like I physically was afraid. So confronting kind of and going back and allowing myself to, to really, you know, I went in and I talked about that and admitting that that's what happened and really going through that. Um, And what I did is I, you know, I journaled and I went through and I, fortunately, because of my training, my background, I had a lot of expertise. So I went to the library, checked out a bunch of books and really so what my book is, is it's a com- combination of my journals. I got done writing all my journals mm. and I, I read them all back to myself. I read all my journals back and I was like, oh shit, that's what's happening here because I'm a researcher, right? So I saw the themes and patterns in my journals and I coded them. And so I took all these journals and I and patterns started showing up. And they were like, oh, here's another one, external validation. Oh, here's another one where I'm shaming myself. Oh, here's another one where I'm blaming myself for this. Here's another, like, and those, those themes then are, became the chapters in my book. So my book is like kind of disjointed. Like if you pick it up, trying to read it, like it's some like beautiful story, it's not. It's a cyclical story of disjointed healing of all the themes and patterns that came up for me when I was trying to to figure out, you know, what was how, was what was no longer helping me and what I was stuck in, I guess. It was like you were being you were like your 
professorial and doctorate philosophical self were like were like teaching or giving therapy to your uh, your inner wounded self does that make sense yeah I mean it really was like I mean still I just I got done reading it because I never intended to write that book it wasn't like I'm gonna write a book about no you didn't write it to share no I got but when I got done and I coded them so I did it I was like oh my gosh I'm I'm not the only person who feels this way because this isn't even about sexual abuse this isn't about abuse at all this is about the ways that I changed in the aftermath of a trauma Right. This is about the coping mechanisms that I felt were making myself safe. But now I realize that we're just weren't real, that I didn't need them or I don't need them anymore because I don't need that safety or whatever it is. Right. Emotional safety or and and so that's when I was like, I have to I have to put this out. So I I just I'm, I'm going to self-publish because this has to be out there. I'm going to give a TEDx talk on this. Let me do this. And I just knew that I had to do it. So even like my evolution of writing the book and starting my business and doing the speaking like that was not a plan. <laughs> that was just something where after I finally figured out this piece, I was like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I help more people. This is how I broaden that. And it's changed the way I teach. You know, um, I talk to my students in a lot different way, even more so now. And it's also the best thing about it is, you know, how I earlier said I taught these things because I couldn't figure them out for myself. Mm. Now I understand that I get to have that internal piece that I thought was only for other people. I really just thought I couldn't get that, you know, that I, I it was just not something that I could achieve anymore after all the meds and all the therapy and, you know, whatever else. But, um, yeah, so, uh, I don't even know what to say after all that. (laughs) It's, it's such a fascinating journey, like listening to you speak about it and learning about it. Just, I keep getting struck with the idea that like a, two things, a, a physical confrontation, like a, like the catalyst that had to shake you out of yourself had to be like a literal crash like a literal impact Mm -hmm. in order to force you out of yourself like there's something really fascinating in that and wondering that if this horrible accident hadn't happened like how much longer would you have been going through life just kind of continually repressing and compressing the emotions that wanted to come out right and I, I really believe, and I think this is because I'm an actor and I'm also a Gemini, but I've always believed that that we have two sides to ourselves, two halves, that there is, especially with women, there is the caretaker, the person that is like, Jeanette, you have to get up in the morning, mm-hmm. your alarm is going off. No, you have to file your taxes. No, we are going to the gym today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the one that takes care of myself. And then there's the inner me, the baby in me, that mm-hmm. is literally like, no, I'm going to have ice cream for dinner and you can shut the fuck up. Like. Yeah. And yep. I really, I, I, I sometimes if I'm like being really, really artisty, shall we say that really Gemini, like I will t- like, I will talk to myself in my two voices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, or I'll, I'll, even if I need to be comforted, I will say things like, I will, t- I got you. I will mm-hmm. take care of you. Yeah. And then there, this story, your story to me, that is nothing is clear where you have you have these two sides mm-hmm. um this inner wounded child mm-hmm. and this smart fabulous woman who knows how to take care of herself and is going to move the fuck on and is strong as shit who uh finally like said like no we're done with this we're moving yeah. on yeah 
that's and that's really what it felt like you know and it felt like then in so many ways it felt like coming into I know it sounds so right now especially it sounds so cheesy or just sounds so ridiculous say I came into my authentic self because that's what everybody's peddling right now right <laughs> but it, it really is I felt like yeah. I was finally like shedding all these things that weren't me and then in so many ways I felt like this newborn baby too where I was just like oh my gosh like what do I actually like what do I actually want like who am I this is cool and scary you know like what have I just been doing out of a place of like people pleasing what have I been just doing because it was easier to accommodate than to say what I wanted 100%. and so it was just like it it like ex expanded my life in so many ways and unraveled things in ways I wasn't expecting you know but and changed relationships too you know I absolutely changed my friendships you know and that's the thing about boundaries you know one of the things I never had was boundaries well I did lose relationships from setting boundaries because, you know, once people are benefiting from you not having boundaries, once you set them, they don't like it very much. So, you know, just like even understanding that like, no, I'm fucking powerful and I can take care of myself. Like you were saying, like that per person who wants to take care of me now as an adult is understanding the ways that I need to be taking care, taking care of as a child that I wasn't, you know, and so really being able to reconcile those things and understand, you know, just some of the ways then even, you know, my emotional reactivity would come out or really understanding now too, I, I went back and did a bunch of other certifications to kind of get some more training and understanding about, you know, my nervous system and the ways that our bodies are really kind of driving the show or driving, you know, forces in terms of our expression of emotions, you know, and understanding how to teach other people how to feel their emotions within their bodies so they can have better responses instead of those reactions that then are going to mm. cause them shame later. Because that's the thing, we get in these spaces where we lash out or we have a reaction or we feel unstable or whatever, and then we have shame after the fact. And then that shame is awful and then you have to deal with that. So instead, let's stop that at the start. Let's start understanding what's going on between our mind and our bodies. Understand why sometimes it does just feel like you have to send 97 texts to somebody or it does just feel like there was no other option than to yell at that person or whatever it is, right? And so much of that is because we're dysregulated and we don't realize it. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that you wrote to me in, in 2020. Yeah, girl, um, tell me. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but you wrote that. I wrote this down um, because this sentence really resonated with me. You wrote that you did not realize you were keeping yourself in a state of fear, guilt, and shame, which mm -hmm. I think is, is very similar to what you were just talking about. But the reason it resonated with me is because... I feel like this is a very universal experience uh, coming especially from like a women's studies perspective, the way that women tend to internalize trauma to mm -hmm. a point where we almost process it as a normal part of growing up. Mm -hmm. And I know this is this is very new, like the fact that a lot of us are coming to terms with like, oh, that thing happened to me and actually that's not okay. But when I was going through it, I really just thought, wow, this happens to everybody yep. or this just happens to women and I have to get used to it. Or like I said, this is just a normal part of growing up, like having a guy be an asshole or try to coerce you into sex mm -hmm. or, or the, just the peer pressure of, of doing things that you don't want to do. And I think this, this concept of keeping ourselves internalizing this shameful experience 
uh, is, is something we talk about on the podcast all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, and the problem with that too, then is like we internalize these shameful experiences and we kind of take responsibility for them. Right. And then you start to slowly do that in other areas of your life before you know it you're taking and accepting blame for things that are absolutely not your fault everywhere. Yeah. Or you're apologizing everywhere. Or you're feeling responsible for other people's feelings and situations that you absolutely shouldn't. You know, so it's like it starts in one place, but then it bleeds over into other areas that we don't even see those threads. Yeah, this, that, um, I want to echo what you said earlier that, that I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have, I hear that and I can hear it in my voice. I've heard it from other women. Like we even do that sometimes when you're like super upset with someone. Like I did this in my relationship. Every time I was mad at him, instead of actually telling him I was, why I was upset, I constantly would say I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that self-protective thing we sort of talked about earlier where I was like, you can't get to me because I've got me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's not. It's not a proper way to sort of heal things. It's just sort of this like um, this barrier or this 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 armor we put up. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I got this. Actually, I'm okay. You know what I mean? Well, and because it's also scary to admit that you're not okay, especially yes. if you don't understand why, or you're like, or you're fearful that it's just there's something wrong with you. And I think that's the big thing, right? Especially in relationships, it's like people. A lot of times, you know, if you can't, we can blame other people and we can bitch about our partners or what have you. But a lot of times, it's like this fear, you know, when you're dating or something that it is just like a pattern that's wrong with you, or something that is just a, you know, default within, or that's why, it, like, I'm fine. Because if I admit that I'm not fine, then I have to try to figure out what that really is. And what if it's me? And oh God, oh shit, what then? And that resonates with me even to this day. I mean, I've used I'm fine for decades. (laughs) I've used I'm fine with my parents when I was mad at them. But even today, I feel like I'm constantly torn between the fact that I'm like, I tell myself I'm fine with being single. But then there's part of me that was like, or am I just telling myself I'm fine with being single? Do you know what I mean? Right. You can get do like a crazy uh-huh. headspin about it. But that sense of I'm not even going to allow myself to acknowledge I'm not fine with it because, mm-hmm. and I think this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, it's not something that I can control. And if I really acknowledge that like things are happening to me that I'm not in control, then we get into scary territory. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like really understanding too, you know, I guess for me, it came down to a point where it's like, how much energy am I going to expend doing one thing versus the other? Okay. So I can expend all this energy being this guilt or shame cycle or, you know, spiraling out about it or saying I'm fine, but then, you know, having spinning thoughts or whatever, or I can, you know, be that badass woman that I am and really confront that shit. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're right. That inner child wins and you're like, no, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to eat some ice cream and sit on the damn couch, you know. (laughs) But then it's like, okay, you got to. And that's the thing, too. Like, that's the cool thing about sometimes I find it powerful to, like, look at the research because it does, like, make me understand then, okay, this is how I can trick my brain into something. So, like, for example, your brain is going to tell you the story of, like, no, it's this or this is the easiest route. You know, that's what your brain is going to tell you because it wants you to be comfortable. It wants to be safe. It wants to feel secure. So sometimes, like, really stepping out of your own storyline that you're telling yourself and challenging that and being like, no, I'm actually not bad at dating. 
I'm good at it and here are the examples or being Mm -hmm. like, this is why. And so really challenging your brain and challenging that storyline that you're telling yourself, whatever it is, you know, if it's about working out, if it's about dating, if it's about, and, and check that because a lot of times it's just you're needing to step into something that's a little bit, um, give yourself a little bit of discomfort you, so you can see if it's an area that you need to grow in instead of staying safe, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and just like a reframe. Mm-hmm. I think all the, I'm, I constantly, when I'm getting, <clears throat> I feel like I'm going, you getting into that, that cycle, that downward spiral, as people say, of like one negative thought leads to another, where you can like, you know, like one impulse purchase becomes what am I doing with my life? You know, Right, right. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, who am I in the world? And we're all going to die. Um, You know, just like stopping and and reframing and 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 being devil's advocate, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, well, what if actually everything is okay? Yeah. And like, honestly, there have been so many times recently where, you know, if I'm afraid of something or if I have anxiety creeping in, like telling myself like, okay, that's not real. That's a storyline. You're yeah. telling yourself that. Like, yeah. I actually will say these things to myself. <laughs> and it's because I still need the reminders. And that's what I think is important, too. It's like anyone who is walking around making you think that they're perfectly healed and health, health, healthy and happy all the time. You know, that's that's your perception. That's not actually what's happening. Nobody is happy all the time. You know, when people appear to be happy all the time, maybe they are because they're working through the things they need to work through. So rather than think, oh, I should be happy all the time. What's wrong with me? Look at the areas like, okay, well, where are areas, where are my pain points? Where are those areas of discomfort? And and what are their pieces of their, or what pieces of that are making me uncomfortable? You know, like, so where are the areas where I keep coming back to? And for women, there are areas where a lot of times it has to do with our boundaries of what we're willing to settle for or where we're going to take care of ourselves or what we want for our lives. And some of that, I think, is just that social conditioning that we've grown up with, you know, of like being afraid to ask or go for what we want because we don't want to seem like overbearing or too aggressive or whatever. Mm. Very much so. So let's talk about what you do in relation to hashtag single, if we may. One of the major running theses of hashtag single is that people are largely single today because of the, because with the advent of dating apps, there's been this major breakdown in communication Mm -hmm. and without proper communication, you have ghosting, you have misunderstanding, misinterpreting, and above all, on like a really basic level, if you don't actually communicate, you just don't, you just don't go on dates. You get stuck in the hamster wheel of, Hey, Mm -hmm. how are you? What are you up to this weekend? Which I know a lot of us, including myself are experiencing. So it's a lot to unpack, but you know, let's start here. Do you cover dating and romantic relationship communication in your classes? Oh yes. I mean, and that's, I mean, and plus since, especially at the college level, that's like a big bulk of our conversation because <laughs> that's, you know, they're, most of them are in the thick <laughs> of that space, but it's interesting because I work with a lot of individual clients on some, you know, we do attachment style work, boundary work, things like that. And that's usually the number one thing we're talking about is romantic relationships and figuring out how to really find that for yourself in an authentic way. So what is, um, what's the hot topic or what's the number one thing that you feel is like missing or absent in romantic communication? 
Well, I mean, I think with what you're saying and with regard to the apps, you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people have are struggling more. So we, it's getting a little bit better now, I think, as people are kind of venturing back out into the world. But one of the biggest things with apps in terms of if you're actually looking for a relationship and you're used to having that energetic connection with somebody in person or you're not trying to build a relationship based on physical appearance, the apps make it kind of difficult to do that, right? Because the first thing you see is somebody's picture or a physical appearance or you might not have like a great amount in their bio or again, as you said, like the texting and all of that is weird. Yeah. So, so really like that's a different space that can present its own difficulties as we all know. So it's really figuring out what are the things that are most important to you that you actually want somebody to know. So those are the things, obviously, we know that, right? Put those things on your bio, lead with those things. But in terms of like the dating world and actual communication, one of the biggest things that I hear about often is that idea of ghosting or how people will just like kind of flake out. And I think that goes back to the fact that we aren't establishing those connections right away, right? You know, like we used to have a greater fear of ghosting somebody if you actually met them versus, you know, or you had a conversation with them, you might feel a little more guilt about not texting them back versus somebody you're randomly speaking to online or something. So I think like our accountability has really just gone down, gone down mm. overall. Why? <laughs> I'm like asking you for the answers to the world, but I'm just curious. I'm really curious to hear just your opinion. And your well, thoughts. unfortunately, and I'm like not absolutely not trying to blame everything on the last few years either, but I did just read this really interesting article about how we're all basically kind of in, still in a collective state of grief because we keep oh. wanting things to be like back to Different. normal, but like yeah. they're not going to be like this is this is how we have to go, you know, so everybody kind of is in this weird state of limbo. And don't get me wrong, ghosting absolutely existed before the pandemic. Okay, we're that's not what I'm saying. But I think like this idea of being accountable to or this idea of even follow through, because I think that's gotten worse even on messaging yes. Yes. is is that people have this sense of like, you know, I don't know what's real versus I don't know what's not and I'm overwhelmed and what's going to happen. And so much so, but yet the world around seems like it's getting more normal. So what I'm noticing is that people are, everybody I talk to is feeling that feeling, but they're not really admitting it or they're not, you know, broadcasting it because it seems like so many other people have their lives back together. So they feel then that there's something wrong with them. Why don't I have my shit back together yet? Or why do I feel overwhelmed? Or, oh, maybe I do want to write that person back, but now I got to think about all these other things or who knows what's going to happen. So I don't know if that's, you know, part of it. I think it probably is, you know, and just looking at the overwhelm that people feel in general. Um, yeah. So that's, that's going to be my answer for you. <laughs> and I love this word overwhelm. Like, I wonder if it can just all be summed up in that one word is that people just stop communicating when they feel overwhelmed. I think is that, that, is that too simplistic? I don't think so. I mean, and, and I'm speaking from that from a personal perspective too, but like, you know, you think about it and I'm sure most people who are listening can relate to the days where you just look at your phone and you and you're just like, I can't right now. I can't. Yeah. I yeah. can't even send one more text. I can't look at it. I don't want to, but I'm going to numb out on TikTok for a couple of hours because I can, that's all I got right now. Or I'm going to, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, even with people you love, I have, I don't 100%. sometimes text my friends back, let alone some random stranger who was messaging me on an app, you know, <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, I, I think some of it, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Cause I mean, surely everybody can't be an asshole, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I live in New York. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe like a solid 85%. <laughs> I'm going to guess. That's, um, that's a really interesting concept. I'm going to start paying attention to my own behavior when I don't text back and how I'm feeling. And I'm, I think you might be onto something. I think it might just come down to overwhelm. Cause even, and then there's like, um, like when I don't respond to guys, like sometimes I feel like I say this out loud because I live alone and, and the pandemic has made me talk out loud much more than I used to. But I will, I hear myself saying, I just can't right now. Yeah. And what that is, is like, uh, you're too much to process, like, I, or I don't know how to respond to you right now, or mm -hmm. you're being too much or you're being annoying. I just, I can't deal with this because I don't have the space yeah. the emotional capacity to process this properly. And that's yeah. overwhelm. Yeah, it's overwhelm. We and I fixed it. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. We figured it out together. Cassandra. We did. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, I think people just don't have the bandwidth anymore. And some yes. of that, when you look at like, you're like, oh, well, but my life hasn't changed. And that's why I was bringing up that, that article about collective grief. Cause it's like, when you're in that space and there's like the outside uncertainty in the world, like it doesn't matter if your life is the same. There's an undercurrent of shit that's not okay, you know, and look at in the world right now, there's yeah. still a major undercurrent of shit that's not okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and then even to like the good thing I think about framing it in this way or what it does for me when I look about look at overwhelm is so my friends absolutely know that when I don't text them back, like they shouldn't take it personally. So if you start to like frame it for yourself that way too, like, okay, everybody who doesn't text me back is overwhelmed and or whatever you're going to decide it is. Then you'll start to see the ways that you were spending energy taking that shit personally. Totally. Yeah. And then Absolutely. you, it, so it frees you up in a lot of ways. And then it also frees you up, you know, just in terms of like, when you don't text somebody back, you'll be like, okay, I was overwhelmed. So I'm not going to beat myself up that I forgot to do that. Cause I'm also the queen of like reading a message and thinking I've responded because I've thought about it, but I haven't actually <laughs> yes. sent them as, as evidenced by your, you and my email chain, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We are both guilty. And oh my I, gosh. I mean, I do that too. So, so bad. My friend Kat and I are constantly saying to each other, I thought I responded to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something definitely women do where you're like multitasking times a hundred and yeah. the brain is going like, you're, you're figuring out the answer, but you never actually communicate it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think too, just like really, you know, understanding the places like where that comes up for you and what that looks like because for me it absolutely does come up in my communication and especially too for me like when I've talked all day at work or I've had a really big day where I've like used a bunch of you know extroversion or something that I didn't plan to use or I you know have gone out of my way and had to talk a bunch I get home and I'm just tired I'm just you can't done with right it. now I'm yeah. just done with it and so just like you said I just can't right now yeah and and that sometimes has to do with the person, you know, sometimes it is like, oh, a person who wants to unload. And so that's also or it's cool. really needy. Right. Yeah. And so it is also a cool feeling to be able to have friends or whoever in your life when you can say that like, hey, yeah, I'll listen to you, but I don't have the space right now to do that. And what that has taught me then too is to ask other people now before I vent or unload on them, like, hey, do you have space for this? Hey, can I, oh, I actually, love that. yeah, because that we do that to people all the time, right? We get, but then we get annoyed when people do it to us. So like really recognizing <laughs> like, hey, I have something I need to talk about, you know, do you have space? That's how, how I like to phrase it is like, do you have space to listen? Because then it gives somebody a chance to say like, you know what, I, I actually don't, or I really do want to listen, but I, I can't give you that emotional response right now. And that's so much healthier because like, 
it's better for me to tell you, hey, I don't have space to listen to you than for me to listen to you and get resentful at you and then give you a, a pissy response or not one that's very great because I didn't have the space for it. <laughs> like, Yeah, there's nothing truer. And it also goes back to what we touched on very briefly at the top of the episode. Like it's boundary setting. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's communicating your boundaries like I don't have space for you right now or or setting or asking people what their boundaries are yeah. and like mm-hmm. that's like the the basis of good communication and friendship and relationships I think is mm-hmm. like knowing everybody's like yes and no points absolutely and then that and just allowing yourself to figure that out what that is you know a lot yeah. of times we don't know what our boundaries are until they're crossed and that's what makes them hard right is then you go in to set a boundary later and somebody's like but that was okay with you before or whatever. And so even allowing yourself to set new boundaries, if behavior comes up, that's not acceptable to you now, like you absolutely get to decide that. So like, and some of that I think is, has changed for people too over the last, you know, few years. So like, you know, back to the dating apps too, you know, maybe before it was like, you were going to keep then messaging somebody who you were kind of into or was only messaging you back periodically. So what about now if you set the new boundary and decide like, no, I don't want that. That's not okay for me. Or, you know, this is what I'm going to accept for responsiveness or this is what I'm going to accept for, you know, communication and seeing what those things feel like to, to, you know, to people individually too is, is really important. And it's totally easier said than done. Like I'm guilty myself. Like, I am going through this right now because there's a guy I went on a first date with and it was really, it went really well. And we both talked about having a second date. Um, I asked him on the second date, he was unavailable. I asked him on a third, well, I asked him again to mm-hmm. uh, the next weekend, he was unavailable. He said, let's get coffee. I reached out to him when I was in his neighborhood. He didn't get back to me all day. So I was like, yo, I asked you three times and mm-hmm. that's kind of my boundary. Um, so I just didn't respond and then like a week passed and I finally was like, I just wrote a, um, a text and I will be completely transparent and say this language did not come from me, but it comes from an amazing coach named Erica Etten, who's been on the podcast and I follow her on Instagram and she gave me this language, but I was like, listen, the, the smart Jeanette needs to, to adult right mm-hmm. now. And I said, um, you know, like I really enjoyed speaking with you, but, um, I'm starting to feel kind of silly by continually asking you to get together. Um, I'm I'm curious if you would like to meet again. Let me know your thoughts. And uh, and he wrote back, and it goes back to overwhelm. He's looking for a new apartment. And wow. part of me was like, "Yo, you could just be like, how's your Saturday when you're looking for a right?" Apartment? <laughs> but now that I'm when I'm talking to you, I'm realizing like he just did not have the emotional bandwidth or the brain space to be thinking of me or communicating me when he's trying to figure out his living space, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway. But that was so good. I mean, but look at what that simple text did yeah, for you. Yeah, I could have just ignored him and deleted him and been like, well, right. I tried and this guy is not going to, there's no follow through. Right. You could have done that and or, and thought about him or you could have internalized it. You know, some people would internalize it, like about make it about themselves and their downfalls or what have you. Or yeah, or we villainize the other instead of being able to do exactly what you did, like setting a boundary or asking for clarification and then seeing what is real versus what's a storyline. Yeah. And he totally reconnected and he was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I would like to see you again. And yesterday he just sent me a text that was like, how was your week? So I was like, all right, we might get the train back on the track, you know? Yeah. 
I but, feel quite good at myself. <laughs> absolutely. And if he wouldn't have written back, then you also would have known too, right? So it, it gives you some right. clarification and some clarity. And so I think like that's so important too is like, look at the spaces in your life, you know, not just with dating, but with everything. Like, where do you keep coming back to? Like, what are you spending emotional energy on thinking about over and over? And is there a space then, yeah, where you can set a boundary or ask for clarification or make a change? Because we fail to realize like how that kind of undercurrent of whatever it is, is taking up space. Yeah. So then after that situation goes away, you know, that's why you, sometimes I think you said earlier, you know, you, you know, people and then that situation goes away or that trauma or that stress goes away and you're like, oh, now I feel better. And you didn't even realize how stressed you were. Yeah, It's like it's like that really being able to look at areas of your life and say, oh, wow, I think about this every day. Why am I, you know, and, and sometimes it's stuff we have to do that we don't want to do. So we avoid it, but we think about it every day. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, so it's guilty. like, okay, you're avoiding that thing, but you're spending this you much time so every quickly. single day thinking about it. Yes. Like, you know, smart Jeanette would not do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really need to give her a name. Maybe she's yeah. Jeanette and like the inner child is like, yeah, right. My Some, childhood nickname, which was something. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> um, I have one final tough question for you, which I, I love to ask my guest experts. Um, and it's not to, to pressure you that you have the answer, but it's just sort of like a, a tough question that's a little bit more about the world that I'd love to, to get your thoughts on. I'm curious, since you do both communication and gender studies, is there a difference in approach to communication or communication expectation between men and women that you are seeing in like modern society, like your students being an example? but also just the world. <laughs> okay, I actually do have an answer for this. Oh, great. Because I'm teaching gender right now. So in this current semester, and this is something we always talk about. Um, and so one of the things that is a theme, and I think we're getting better, is um, about women in assertiveness. And so mm. women still are so often seen when they're being more assertive or direct as being aggressive. And like really understanding that being aggressive is not the same as being assertive and being direct does not make you bitchy. And I know that sounds like something that we've talked about over and over, but like that's still a thing and this still comes up. And so my students have even talked about, you know, in emails, like trying, you know, trying to write like more LOLs or ha-has or smiley faces or pleases yes. and thank yous and all those kinds of things. And so like that type of expectation of pleasantries and niceness and warmth um, that women, it's like an extra layer of trying to exude that versus like being able to still be, you know, kind and caring, but state a direct sentence without having to, you know, like go around the bush, beat around soften the bush it. or soften it. Yeah. Or hedge it or ask a tag question at the end. And so that has to do so much with just, you know, women again, for I know I'm talking a lot about space but it's like we're afraid to take up space you know so we make yeah. ourselves selves smaller and that's really what that is and that's an expectation that is not the same that is different for men still with communication you know when we see men they're they're supposed to be you know direct and assertive and bold and strong and I know that that sounds so gender stereotypical everything I just said and most of the time there aren't those you know stark contrasts and when you look at the research about how men and women actually communicate you know men aren't from Mars women aren't from Venus you know that kind of thing but it really is more in the perception of how we're allowed to communicate 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's so crazy that like it's 2022 and we're like still dealing with that. Yeah, it, it is because I ask my gender students, they have journals every week, you know, so I'll ask them to give me their experiences like with objectification or with whatever. And they, they get to either write from their personal standpoint or things that they know about if they don't feel comfortable with that. And yeah, like I just keep waiting for the semester where I'm like not going to read those things because yeah. it's like, oh, it, and sometimes I get excited because I'm like, oh, we've made so many advances and then I'll read things and I'll be like, oh, shit, you know, it, but so I do think it's getting better because we're talking about it more and there's more of an awareness. And I think that it's a bigger part of the conversation, but I think it's still something that we're going to keep keep seeing a need for keep seeing a need to teach women how to be direct and state things without them apologizing for it or without them feeling shame or like they were being bitchy so actually I had this game when I was first like really practicing boundaries I had a game for myself and I called it boundaries are bitchy and so when I would Mm -hmm. like it's just my own little game when I would feel like I wanted to say something I would be like okay is this a boundary or is this bitchy and I would seriously sometimes ask myself like if a dude said this would anyone be mad about And if the answer was no, it's like, okay, then that's a boundary. That's not being bitchy. But I had to ask myself that because I'd been so conditioned to think that if I was direct, I was being rude, you know. And this makes me think, I just had an author on last month, Lizzie Skernick. She has a phenomenal book you might really enjoy called Pretty Bitches. And it's a collection of essays from women about a single word that has harmed them, that has been used against them to keep them small. And we talked a lot about the word, how the word shrill was used against Hillary Clinton in her election. Mm-hmm. So we talk about like, oh my God, it's 22, 2022, we're still having this conversation. And we're like, you know, words are still being used mm-hmm. to undermine and to oppress women and to keep them small and to comment when they're being strong, like mm-hmm. to use negative words. So the way that we sort of feel the need to soften or apologize, it's a direct response to the negative critique that we get when we are aggressive or assertive or direct you know I'm trying to get better at being aware of how often I use the qualifiers like let me know your thoughts just my two cents lols ha ha's you know for what it's worth like these qualifiers of my Mm -hmm. opinion instead of just stating my opinion but you know there's like it's it's 35 years of undoing yeah, 35, 30, 20 years of undoing that I'm trying to address, but it's still, it's still so relevant today. It is. And I think it just comes out in ways that we don't even notice as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. One final question. I want to bring this back to you. So in your original OG message to me a hundred <laughs> years ago, you wrote, self-love is the key to finding love with another. And we definitely talk a lot about this concept on the podcast, but I I just wanted to throw it out to you. I'm interested in hearing what that statement means to you and where it comes from. Wow, that was so long ago. I want to go back to this original email. You're like, I don't even believe that anymore, Jeanette. Who was I at that time? No, just kidding. Um, I no, I still, I maintain, I stand by my original statements. And um, I, so self-love we don't start there. You know, we think about self-love and self-care and we don't think about necessarily what that truly is. So self-care and self-love is really nurturing who you are as an individual person. 
So to nurture who you are and to get to this authentic self that everybody talks about and to really find this love and happiness and everything like that is really being able to understand what makes you feel loved. Do you feel solid and safe and secure and loved enough within yourself before you are seeking that from somebody else? And if you don't, the seeking it from somebody else then there's going to just be more that you're seeking from that person. Or then if they don't give it to you or they don't meet that, then it's an expectation that's not fulfilled. Or then there's this area within yourself where it's like, well, now I'm not happy with them and I'm not happy. So what I meant by that and what I still maintain and mean is that really getting clear for yourself on, okay, who am I? What are my needs? What does make me happy? How am I contributing to my own self-worth? How am I upholding my own self-love? So that then when I'm seeking a partner, they are somebody who adds to my happiness, but I don't rely on them for it. Yes, 100%. Put it on a plaque, put it on the wall. It can't be said enough yeah. more and more. We just like have to drill it in our heads. We do, because it's not easy when you're in it. It's not. No. None of this is. You know, if it were easy, we wouldn't have to keep having the conversation. We'd just be doing it, <laughs> for God's story. sake. You know? <laughs> True story. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your beautiful words and for sharing your vulnerable story with me. It means so much to me that you would come and, and share your backstory um, as, as part of your knowledge base to help others. So I just want to thank you again for being here and for everything you've said thus far today. Thank you for having me. It's been such a great conversation. I'm really grateful that we were finally able to make it work. Me too. I love chatting with you. This is like a highlight of my day. So thank you. Keep doing the good work, teaching the future generation about how to communicate better so they could grow up to be better people who want to date on these apps. <laughs> right? From a selfish standpoint. I just want the future generation to be less frustrated than I am. Oh, same. I want more emotionally healthy people. That's what oh my I want God. too. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Cassandra. Guys, if you liked listening to this episode, if it resonates with you, if you feel like you have a friend who's struggling with communication and boundary issues, consider passing it along to them and making their day. As always, we're having the best conversations over on Instagram at hashtag single pod. Please come join us. And if you're feeling extra sprightly today, maybe you would consider giving a generous rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on right now. That's it for this episode of Hashtag Single. I look forward to bringing you a brand new episode in two weeks with another Badcast female podcaster. Have a great week. That's all for this episode. We will catch you next time.